Come on, can we just say thank you to our worship team? Just honor them. Thank you for leading. Um, I thought it was really, really powerful this morning. Is it good to be in God's house? Come on, this is such a vibrant service. Come on, that's awesome. Guys, um, we are in our third week of our Hope series, and so we're going to be talking about lost hope today. And so I'm going to pray quickly this morning that God would just speak into our hearts and prepare our hearts to receive His Word, that it will take root and it will be activated for the purposes that God wants to use it. Is that cool? Cool. Let's, Heavenly Father, we just thank You, Lord. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You are present in this moment, Father God. And so, Father God, I pray, Lord, that even as the circumstances of our lives sometimes may feel like they're leading us in different directions, I pray in this space today, right now, that you would empty our minds and calm our thoughts, Lord. That you would bring our hearts to a place of peace where it can be in a moment where that it can receive what you want to say to it. And so, Lord, I invite your word to change our lives this morning, Father God as it takes root and is activated for your kingdom's cause. And all God's people said, Amen. While you take your seats, why don't you find somebody around you and introduce yourself by name. Say, hello, my name is... And then you can look to the person on your left and just say, I finally got to meet them. I finally got to meet them. I've been wanting to meet them for ages. Come on, guys. Welcome to church this morning. My name's Dieter, and I'm part of the, the team here that serves. I love serving in God's house. I love serving God. And I also know that I serve God by serving people. And I believe that God has done something powerful in our church, and He's going to continue to do that. And I pray that He continues to shower His blessings, favor, encouragement um, over this church, that we continue to be His hands and feet, that we continue to be called to do what He's asked us to do. Amen. Amen. We're in our third week of our Hope Series. How many of you have been here for all three weeks? That's, wow, that's actually the first service. We've got to speak to those guys. Like a third of them were here. Come on, that's really cool. And so uh, this week I was given the topic. Andre gave me a question. So normally when we're preparing sermons, Andre is, is a phenomenal leader. And he normally prompts a question in us in order to prep a sermon. And so my question uh, for the sermon was, um, what steals our hope? What steals our hope? And so whilst I was going through and and chewing on this, I was trying to get an understanding of, um, have I ever lost hope in a situation? And in that moment, like what was my experience? Like what stole my hope? Have any of you ever had hope in something and then it feels like the carpet was ripped out from underneath you? And then in a moment you've just changed and gone like, I don't know if this is gonna pan out. And so I've been in that situation before and, and I believe what, what causes our hope to be stolen is when we're unsure of how the future is going to plan out. When we're not sure of how this is actually going to play out into the future. And so what happens is as that starts to happen, we get this overwhelming sense of anxiety. This overwhelming sense of I'm not in control anymore and I don't know if I can do this. I'm speaking to myself. Anybody else been there? I think we've all been there at some time in our life. We've all experienced this level of overwhelmness. But what I loved about Chris's um, offering message was just how he spoke about um, happiness is what comes from the outside, but true joy is what comes from the inside. So as Christians, we can have circumstances come against us, but it's not the circumstances that matter. 
It's the experience and how we respond in those circumstances that can change our direction and can give us the sense of hope even when it seems like a season of no hope. And so the title of this morning's message is A Sure Hope in an Unsure World. An unsure world. You know, the, the world will throw things at you and you cannot be sure of what tomorrow is really going to look like. But when we understand what God wants to say today, today in His Word, I believe we can have a surety in our hope, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what, uh, what is happening around us. So uh, if you are reading, your, if you brought your Bibles to church, well done, you're a great Christian. No, I'm just <laughs> teasing. I'll have, it, I'll have it up on the board as well for you guys. But I'm going to get to the scripture a little bit later. But just in case you wanted to make your way there, I'm going to be preaching out of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. It'll be going through verses 8 to 11. So you, if you wanted to make your way there in the meantime, you can do that. Um, it is a powerful, powerful piece of scripture that Corinthians, because Paul really teaches the church through the, the, the Corinth church. And so hopefully we'll get some of those principles today. Yeah, so it was an afternoon on the 30th of May, um, 2007. I was uh, working for the Fashini Group and I was doing a store visit. Uh, so we were doing store visits out in Stellenbosch. And so whilst I was going through the, st- the regular sort of protocol that store managers do, uh, they go through stock rooms and everything. And we were going through how we could improve the turnover in the store. Um, this day started like every other day, uh, but it didn't end like every other day. Uh, because whilst I was going through the store visit, I got a call that Abby was in labor. And um, I was like, oof, um, okay, but I, I, the, the gynecologist didn't do a great job because we planned this. <laughs> we set the date. They were supposed, what do you mean you're in labor now? She says, well, the baby's coming early and you need to get here. And it was, it was, it was a crazy moment because any of you know, there's like a 45 minute drive all the way from Stellenbosch to get to Milnerton Mini Clinic. And so in the moment I was like looking at the storm and thinking like, uh, do I need to finish? She's like, no, you need to go. <laughs> I was like, okay, jump in the car and I start driving. And, and, and in that moment, while I was driving, um, I got this acute awareness that I was about to become a dad, that we were about to become parents. Now, I'm not the best planner on planet Earth. And so Abby, up until this point, had done most of the planning and getting ready for this child to arrive. Abby had picked out the color of the room and the the clothing was ready and there were nappies stacked up and ready to go. But up until this point, I think the only involvement I had is what dads normally do is they go and look for toys. So we like walk through Toys R Us. I want it all be fun to play with them. And then we go and, I don't know about you, but how many pram dads, you heard you're having a baby, the first thing you go look for is a pram. You're like, my child's not going in any pram. My pram's going to have low profiles, mags on there. It's going to have a free flow exhaust. Hey, how many of you guys are pram dads? Hey, so up until this point, I had done very superficial kind of preparation for this and this overwhelming sense of like, you're about to become a dad. And in that moment, I was driving thinking, God, I can't do this without you. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Like this is a big step in my life and am I going to be able to, all these questions, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be a good dad? Am I going to cause this child to actually have problems later? But it was so funny in that moment, I just had this sense. It was this overwhelming moment of crying out going, God, unless you come through now, I don't think I can do this. How many of you ever been in that situation? That overwhelmed situation where you cry out to God and you say, God, unless you come through now, God, if you don't come through now, 
I don't think the outcome's gonna be successful. I think a lot of us are there and we all experience that overwhelmed level of um, that moment where we feel like we're out of our league, we're out of our depth and we're unsure of how the future is gonna turn out. You know, maybe for you, it's your kids are born and you're having a child for the first time. I remember that moment. Any of you remember your child and the first day you drove out of the hospital? It was so funny, like in the hospital, she was such a well-behaved child. I was like, we've got the best child ever. The minute we got home, I was like, can I take her back for a refund? I think they must be broken or she doesn't stop crying. I have to check. But the nurses actually give you a sense false of like what's gonna happen. But anyways, you remember leaving the hospital and you're driving out of that hospital, you've checked, you do like 10 to two on the steering wheel, you K53 everything. Are the tires right? The air pressure right? You're gonna put your first child in this car and you're gonna be driving out of the hospital. I'm like, Abby's like, you can go. I'm just holding, I'm just waiting in case there's cars. It's like, there's no cars, just wait. Hey, and then my second child came and then it was a little bit easier and my third child, I think I forgot him at the hospital when we left. I was like, but, but we, you may get to that moment where your overwhelming moment is your first time with your child. Maybe some of you um, are experiencing like a holiday season, like holiday seasons bring their highs, right? But they also sometimes can bring the very big lows. Like you may be experiencing a Christmas or a birthday without somebody there anymore that was very close to you and they've passed away. And th- there's a seat at the table and it's empty and you're going like nothing's prepared me for this. And there are very different reasons and different ways. Maybe you're changing jobs and maybe you've now resigned from one and you're thinking, I don't know how this next one's gonna play out. Maybe you're changing spaces in, in, and you're moving to another location in the country and you're feeling like, I don't know how this is gonna plan out. So all of us know what it feels like to have this overwhelmed feeling. And sometimes in those moments, quick verses don't help. Hey, like, have you, and then you read the verse, you go, it's not working, let me try it again. It's not working, let me try it again. Anyone been there? Hey, you read the verse and you read it over and over and over and go, it doesn't seem to be helping me right now. And that's one of the reasons why I love the Bible. It's because the Bible's filled of heroes and uh, of the faith. It's filled with men and women who actually aren't perfect, who don't have it all together. If you actually read the Bible, you'll see it's a book of people that are very imperfect, but it was God in their situation that changed their situation. And so it's a story of imperfect people with a perfect God working in their lives. And so I love how the Bible kind of unpacks this. And so one of these characters, one of my favorite in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. If you don't know who the Apostle Paul is and this is your first time to church, I just wanna let you know, he, he wrote most of the New Testament, okay? The Apostle Paul was known as one of the biggest church leaders. We experience church today because of his organization and his leadership in the early church. Like if there was one dude that would have it all together, you would think the Apostle Paul has it all together. You know, that he, even the, the scripture we're gonna read is an encouragement letter written to a church to encourage them on leadership, Leadership that's not only practiced today, but was practiced back then. And so it's leadership that has continued for generations. Paul is a, a fascinating person in the, in, in the Word of God. And if anybody had it all together, I believe Paul would have had it all together. But today we're gonna read a piece of scripture. We're gonna get a window into Paul's life when he didn't have it all together. When Paul actually cried out and said, rather take my life. You guys are going, wow, that's not Paul. 
Well, let's, lead, let, let's jump into the scripture this morning as we read it. And um, Paul is going to describe a situation in the scripture uh, where he's faced with circumstances. But what I love about it, he doesn't harp the circumstances. He talks about his experience in the circumstances. Like, like Chris was saying, sometimes happiness is what comes from the outside, but true joy comes from the inside out. And so Paul is actually not looking at his circumstances. He's actually going, how can I experience this in a way? But let's actually jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 to 11. And it says this, we do not want you to be uninformed. Now I just want to pause it for a second. If, you read, if you're reading the King James Version and the New King James Version, they use a very positive word, Ignorant. <laughs> Imagine somebody can say, I don't want you to be ignorant. You'd find that as an insult. But why does Paul start the letter by, I do not want you to be uninformed? Because in these days, in Corinth, it was a Greek city. And Greek people in this time, their mythology used to always be about knowledge. The more you knew, the wiser you were. And so they believed that if you were going through a hard situation, God was not in your corner. Because only the blessed and the prosperity have God's favor upon them. And that's not true. And so Paul is actually in this scripture going to get a bit more vulnerable because he's saying, you guys are ignorant. You're saying you're going through hard times. Maybe God's not with Paul. But Paul's going, no, don't be uninformed. I need to give you the truth right now. Brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. I love this part. It's like a full stop, and then it goes, but God. (laughs) It falls like, we almost died, but God. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope and he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on behalf of the gracious favor granted us in answering the prayers of the many. I think that that is such a fascinating story because Paul points out some really good principles that we can learn here. Paul's being vulnerable with us and he's pointing out some really, really key uh, pieces here. One of the pieces that probably stand out for me in Cumberson is the fact that, do you know that Paul brushes over the circumstances? Now, I've tried to study this scripture, but scholars, even uh, scholars and theologians haven't, don't really understand what Paul is referring to, which situation he's referring to. We know that Paul in the time is writing to the church in Corinth, and we know that in this time, Ephesus was just over the ocean. So he experienced some hard times in Ephesus. We even called the people, uh, I think he even said that they're like wild animals, and he he was being stoned. There were times where Paul was shipwrecked, there were times where he was snake bit. But we don't know what specifically is happening in the circumstances. And I don't think Paul really wants him to know that either. Because he's saying, I'm going through a hard time. But he starts to step into the experience of what he does in the hard time. And I think for a lot of us, hard times are going to come. Do you know 10% of life's going to happen to you? You don't have a choice in it. The taxi driver will cut you off. You don't have a choice. Just don't tell him he's number one in your life. It's not Christian life. But 90% will be how you choose to respond. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, what is my part to respond? And so he responds differently. He wants us to be, he wanted the church to be fully aware of his afflictions that him and his co-workers are going through. But he doesn't get delve into the detail. 
And I think a lot of us spend time on our circumstances that are coming against us and we give it fuel. And in that time giving it fuel, we start to decline our hope because we're giving fuel to the problem instead of asking God into the problem. And that's what Paul does here. So first thing we notice is that he's going through a tough situation. We're under great pressure. Do we have the next slide? It says that we're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even life. Even in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Please note that Paul is not saying, I'm feeling slightly overwhelmed right now. Paul is actually crying out. It says we were super abundantly weighed down beyond our ability. We were so weighed down that we despaired life itself. Paul doesn't talk about the outward experience, but he's talking about his inward experience. And so his inward thing that he's experiencing while going through this problem is he's experiencing crushing pressure. Have you ever been in a situation that is overwhelming? You feel like there is no hope in it and you're feeling like there's a crushing pressure upon you. Paul is in this moment as he's, he's speaking to this church. It was more than he could handle. There was despair, there was despondency and even the sentence of death. They couldn't handle it. They were in over their heads and they had lost all hope. Wow. <laughs> How many of you knew this about the Apostle Paul? I'm like, wow, Paul, that's not very spiritual of you. <laughs> I'm like, maybe we should quickly grab our Bibles and give Paul an encouragement scripture. Paul, you can do all things. Paul, God's gonna work everything for the good of those. I reckon if I gave Paul this, that in this circumstance, it probably wouldn't have helped him. It's important to understand that Paul did not put on a happy face and say, it's all okay, it's all gonna be okay. Like most of us do. He didn't run from the pressure, it tells us. He didn't run away from it. He didn't pretend that he couldn't handle it either. He was in the pressurized situation. He was not ashamed to admit of his own weaknesses, his own inability, his own emotional brokenness, his hopelessness. He couldn't handle it. He was in beyond his ability. He was feeling a crushing pressure. I don't think this is only for Paul. (laughs) I think we all feel that sometimes. We all go through overwhelming times where we feel that there's a crashing pressure. You know what's so encouraging is later on in in chapter 13, Paul writes this scripture, and I think that it might be related to this. It's just Detus asked Jesus, like, but, or my exegetical point of view, is that later on, Paul actually writes this beautiful scripture in chapter 13, which says, he quotes Jesus, says, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. I think some of us can get to our weakest moments and think that that's our breaking moments. No, when we turn to God, it's our strongest moments. You see, it's in the testing times that God brings your testimony and starts to raise you. There will be things that you will learn through that situation that you would never have understood had you had not gone through them. And so Jesus's grace is sufficient for your needs and his power is made perfect in your weaknesses. And I believe Paul probably got that revelation posters. But I love how he turns the scripture. There's a turn in the narrative. If we actually look at the next verse, there's a turn in the narrative, if we can bring that up. 
But this happened. <laughs> I love it when God puts a but in the Bible. It's like, I was down and out, broken, not going to be able to survive. But God. Anyone had a but God moment in your life? Show of hands. Anyone that's had a but God moment? It's like, I couldn't do this, but God showed up. And this is a but God moment. But this happened that we might re- not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then he makes this proclamation about the future. If we can go to the next slide. God has delivered us from such and he will continue to deliver us again. I've seen God do it before. He will do it again. And you see how Paul changes his narrative. He's saying the circumstances are coming, but I've seen God do amazing things. God's gonna do amazing things in this. That's a true anchored hope. That's a true surety of your hope. It's not saying that you're looking for hope in the world. It's a true surety of looking for the one who is hope and it's Jesus Christ. It's anchoring your hope in a time of trouble. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. I love how Paul actually, in this passage, they must have got to a point where they were relying on themselves in their own strength, their own resources, because otherwise he wouldn't have said that. We were trying to do this for God and then we realized we weren't and we were in trouble. And then we had to realize what were we trying to do from ourselves? A lot of us are serving God's house out of your own strength when we should be going to God and allowing Him to flow His strength through us. And this is what Paul's saying is that they realized that moment. Clearly Paul went into a struggle and was trying to rely on his own resources along with his companions. And they got to this place where they actually cried and said, we cannot do this without you, God. And then God came through and God changed their situation. Not only does God change their situation, but he gives Paul a confidence that says, no matter what the future is still gonna throw at you, you will be okay because you are secured. You are anchored in Jesus Christ. Your hope is not shaken. It's not shakable. There's a certainty to the hope of who is in your situation. Some of us have probably reached the end of our rope on hope. I want to let you know it doesn't matter. Even if you're holding on to the very ends of your hope rope, just remember who holds you. Jesus holds you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And in the moment, if you want true hope in a place that is uncertain hope, get to your knees and ask God into that situation because it's the only thing that doesn't change. It's the only true hope. If we're going to find a sure hope in an unsure world, we've got to know first thing. My first point is God will not give us more than He can handle. Dita, what are you talking about? God will never give me more than I can handle. He said that. We all get that point from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But actually God's talking about temptation in that. He says, God will never allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. And even if you are, He provides a way out. I believe God will give you more than you can handle. Do you know why? Because if you could handle anything, you wouldn't need God. And I believe that in in circumstances that feel like you are unable to handle this situation, it's the time that you get to that moment where you trust God. When God is the only thing that you can hold on to, hold on to Him. Because God is something that you can trust. So the distinction is correct and it's important for you to know that God will never give you more than He can handle. What can God not handle? Have you ever thought about that? What can God not handle? God can handle anything. So why not have Him in your corner? When you're in your hopeless situation, if God's the only one in your corner, then that's all you need. 
It says here that we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, and so that we despaired life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. This is important to grasp. Why? Because God causes us to be in situations which we can't handle sometimes. Have you ever asked the question, why is God putting me in this situation? Maybe because he wants to be with you in it and through it. Maybe you don't understand the full context of where God's taking you. Maybe there's a preparation season for what is to come. I don't believe that God causes things to harm you. I believe we live in a sinful world where we get involved in things that actually causes sin to surround us. But I believe no matter what the situation, when you put God in it, He can get you through it. And it doesn't matter about what the circumstances are. It's about you and God in the circumstances. That is the true hope. And you need to get to this word that says, I can't. Just like I got there. God, I can't do this without you. We need to be Christians that actually go, we've got too much of this language. I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes. But if you read that scripture in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to get to a level that it's only through Christ's strength that we can actually achieve what we need to achieve. And God wants to walk through our situations with us. And sometimes we can't handle everything without God. In my opinion, the way I walk my life, I can't handle anything without God. God is in every situation. You know, I, we, I, how many of you have a figure it out mindset? Hey, I'll figure it out. That's your self-reliance. I'll figure it out. We moved into a house, a new house now, and then the tiles fell off the pool. And I was like, Pff. I was like, wow. I'm thinking, there's no moolah to fix this. So what do you do best? You go to YouTube. <laughs> and you're like, I'll figure it out on YouTube. But YouTube are liars because that stuff they give you, they don't give you the little tips that you're going to learn along the way. And you actually make a big remorse. Because now I'm like making more mess. I could have just found somebody that could do it. And if I'd realized I can't do it, but I need somebody who can, it would have changed my situation. It would have saved me a lot of time. I want to let you know that if you can't do it, God can. And he must be the first one we go to in that situation. So the first thing is God will never give you more than he can handle. The second one is we all experience pain, but we don't talk about it. Paul found purpose in his pain. If you actually look at it, we all experience pain and we need to learn to talk about it. Paul's letter to the Corinth church is an encouraging letter for them. I mean, they're reading this going like, I believe the best thing Paul's teaching them is vulnerability. Vulnerability with other people is sometimes we go through pain and we try and do it alone. We try and bottle it up and think, I can handle it on my own. I want to let you know that that's a lie from the dirty devil. God has created you for community. God has created you to be together. And even when you get into a view group and you find relationship and community, you can pray for each other. You can stir up faith within each other in those moments. Because I believe that God's not going to pass you by on your way to your destiny without people getting involved. Sometimes He's going to bring somebody else into your life. It's going to help you through that situation. And I believe that we need to get into community. What Paul teaches us here is vulnerability in community is powerful. You know, our view groups need to be big enough to take care of each other, but small enough for us to be vulnerable and intimate with each other. And that's all we need is we need to have this intimate moment where we can share with each other and realize we don't have to do life alone. You know, Mother Teresa said, honesty and transparency make you 
make you vulnerable, be honest and transparent anyway. I don't know what you're going through and what you're not sharing, but I encourage you, get into a healthy community and start to talk about it. God will use other people in your process to come around you and pray with you. View groups are powerful. You know, even Jesus did this with Peter. In Luke, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 34, uh, Peter's name was Simon. So just, I don't wanna confuse anyone. But he goes, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have, uh, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus, even in His view group, was saying, I'm praying for your faith to be strengthened. I wanna remind you, you know how powerful that Scripture is? I don't believe that Jesus only prayed for Simon. I believe He sits on the throne right now today and He's praying for your faith to be strengthened. I believe God is interceding into your situation that you think is unconquerable. I believe that God in that situation is gonna use it to strengthen your faith. And I believe as we get into community and view group, God is gonna use people in your life to sharpen each other and strengthen your faith. You know, I've heard it being said before that we impress others with our strengths but we connect through our weaknesses. Sometimes you think your weakness is the moment that you don't wanna share. Actually, your weakness may be the thing that connects you to other people and you may find out you're not the only one going through that situation, but together you can go through it. And so the, the first thing was that to have hope and a sure hope in an unsure world is that we needed to know that God would never give us more than He can handle. And also that we all have pain but we should share it with each other. And last thing, the third point is, hope starts to grow when self-reliance ends. Your hope will start to grow when your self-reliance ends. And I think this is the crux of the passage. Paul goes, we are under great pressure. We're far beyond our ability to endure. We even despaired life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but rely on God who raises the dead. He is the deliverer for us from such a peril and He will deliver us again. I love it. I don't know if you need to hear that, but God will deliver you again. I don't know what you're going through. God will deliver you again. Him we have set our hope. And that's the only thing you need to set your hope on. It's the only thing. If you got Jesus, hang on to Him. I think as Christians, we sometimes have this thing that God's not happy with me. I go to church, I serve, and I, but if I do something wrong, oh, it's almost got this picture of God going, He did it again. I don't know how many of you have that. Like God's this God that wants to just give you a puck every five seconds. Can I tell you some truth? If this is the only thing you can take today, that when God looks upon you, He doesn't see you or your sins. When you've come to Jesus and you've repented and you've turned from your wicked ways, God no longer sees your sin. He sees His Son. Charles Spurgeon says this, Jesus stood before God as if He were us. So you can stand before God as if you were Him. That is what repentance does. It allows a relationship with Jesus to happen. Salvation comes into our lives and God no longer looks at you as if you are good or bad. God only sees the righteousness of His Son. And He says, you are the apple of my eye. I love you. There is so much I have in store for you. My promises are yes and amen for your life. I've not forgotten about you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. For wherever I 
go, you go too. And I will be with you through every situation. And I believe that when we have this relationship with Jesus, it allows the Father's love to show us something that we're not used to. Self-reliance is very heavy. If you've ever led a company or you've managed something or you are a leader and you happen to pick up everything when people drop the balls, you'll wake up very quickly at how heavy that becomes. It all becomes about you. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. This is not a nice job. Look at my boss. He's doing nothing. And that's what starts to happen because there's too much self-reliance. But when you step out of self-reliance, say, God, I need you in this situation. You look at people around you and say, can you come and help me along this journey? And you walk it together. You realize that your hope will start to grow because it's not just about you. The kingdom is about others focused. And so today I want us to recognize that your hope Your surety of your hope in an unsure world is to know that God will never give you more than He can handle. In your pain, He's gonna bring people through there. And lastly, He needs you to let go of what you're in control of and hand it over to Him. Can we stand quickly? If you're here today and you need prayer for something that feels overwhelming and you don't know if you can do this anymore, Can you give me a quick wave? I'd love to pray with you and I just want to know who I'm praying. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands are going up all over this auditorium. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that when we invite you to a situation, it changes everything. Not only do we get through the circumstance, but we grow through it. And we ask you, Father God, will you see the hearts of everybody here, Father God? and allow them to have an inward, outward focus to their hope in that situation. Lord, I don't know what the circumstance is, but I know it's not too big for you. We serve a God that is bigger than any of those circumstances. And Lord, I know that if you're in the heart of it, it changes everything. You can crack the chains on that situation and release them now. But I pray, Father God, that you would be with them. Anoint them with the wisdom, Father God, to take their very next step. Show them the context and the perspective you have of them and for them. If there's anybody here that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to let you know that that's probably your best first step. It's like having a ship without an anchor. And you feel like you're floating from one thing to the other all over the place. Lost at times, found at times. But you just need that anchor that secures you that's Jesus Christ in our salvation. It's in our lives. We were designed by Him and for Him. He loves you and He cares for you. But if you don't have a relationship with Him, I want to invite you into that relationship because that's your first step. It's just to cry out and say, God, you know, I can't do this anymore. I've actually even got to the point that I don't even think living's worthwhile anymore. But God, I need you now. I've tried everything else. I need you now. If that is you and you want to accept a relationship with the Father this morning, why don't you quickly raise your hands and give me a wave and I would love to pray for you so that I know who I'm praying for. So on the count of three, if you could pop your hand up and pop it down. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Church, why don't we pray together? Lord God, thank you that you love me. I thank you that you care for me. I thank you that you chose me first. 
before you created the world, you already thought of me by name. And I was designed for a relationship with you. Lord, I recognize my sinful ways and I want to end them now. Lord God, I ask you to come into my heart. Transform me from the inside out. I invite you, Lord, into my life. I thank you for the free gift of salvation. And Lord, I want to serve you for the remainder of my days. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a praise.